Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran and welcome to The Garden Gurus Live. It's our weekly show where Joanne Harris and I share seasonal garden advice. We feature a variety of garden lovers from all over Australia and the world, and we give you the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like the Garden Gurus Facebook page and tune in every week. This live stream is brought to you by Still and Garden Express. Garden Express is Australia's largest online and mail-order garden supplier, leading the way in helping customers create beautiful gardens. From their garden centre to your door, their easy-to-use ordering system takes the fuss out of planning your garden. To create your dream garden, head to gardenexpress.com.au. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the Garden Gurus. This is the first um, of our summer series for 2022. We've got a great show lined up for you. Um, this week, uh, we are going to be talking with the, the guys from Garden uh, Express, of course, and they've got a couple of great uh, specials for us. You want to get those in quickly before Christmas. Um, we also have um, a sneak preview of the uh, Garden Guru's Best Of. These guys have been going for 20 years. Trevor pulled it together that long ago and it's been a huge um, achievement for 20 years of shows. So we've got some really good um, sneak previews of different shows from back in the time. So have a look. That's for our um our uh, WA custom uh, viewers, I believe. So let's uh, let's have a look at that on Sunday. It's really well worth it. Um, the later on, I'll be sharing uh, with you the plant of the week, and of course. Don't forget to ask all those gardening questions. I'll answer as many as possible. Um, and, um, yeah, so remember, hit the like button and please give me your um, your uh, where you're living, where you're planting at least, and that way I can answer your question uh, more precisely for you. All right, so our first, uh, we're going to um, head straight over and speak to David from the Garden Express company and he's got some great ideas for us here great deals hi david how are you not too bad joanne good morning how are you going yeah not too bad at all it's a nice day over here are you having a nice one in melbourne we've got a great weekend planned and uh, i believe i'm having a picnic at the botanic gardens on sunday in the 33 degree heat whoa well that's not too bad just take a, a nice fan good fan it's going, it's going to be great. It's the first day since uh, since March that we've been in the 30s. So wow. uh, wonderful for us Victorians, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Let's hope that um, stays around and it sticks around the high 20s for you for a bit longer. Would be nice. Would be nice. Yeah. Summer is here. Dry, dry it out a little bit. Now, we've, um, we've got a couple of good deals this week. So we're going to look at the anthuriums again. Yes, wonderful. So Rowan touched on those uh, last week. You... you um, uh, presented that up. So the anthuriums are amazing size plants, uh, probably one of the best value for money offers we've had for, uh, well, since last week anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, look, I agree with you. Um, these, these are amazing little plants. They flower almost all year round if they're in the right sunlight and the right light conditions. Um, and yours just look amazing. They're, they're, they're so lush. It's one of those wonderful, wonderful indoor plants, right? You can uh, you just enjoy them. As you said, with the flowering, consistently four, five, six blooms, 
uh, beautiful colours that you know you can't get in the in say like a spath. Um, these things are just incredibly um, a lot of volume for a small root ball, if you get what I mean. Yeah, well, it is a small root ball, and they like they don't mind being in a smallish pot either. And you do get a a big plant often out of a small pot. Um, I think the difference, like you mentioned, spath spath films, and I, I actually really love a, a lovely spath film at, at uh, Christmas time too. But your anthuriums they flower in three month periods, don't they? So you've got four really good flowering seasons right throughout the year. Yes, they do take a short break to you know for that root system to recover, and you know providing a, a small amount of fertilizer consistently. Uh, it just assists with that long-term flowering. But you're right, they do take these short breaks between. But I've got an example here with your four, five, six blooms sitting on there. That's this stunning. is what we're shipping out. Isn't that gorgeous? Look, it's really stunning and I love the way you ship things. I think, um, in fact, I need to talk to you about that. I really love the way you ship them. The fact that you strap the pots into a box means that they're going. the people are going to get the best plant possible when it arrives on their doorstep. And that's hard to do. I know that. There's, there's uh, you know, probably every three months we do a review of the types of plants we've been shipping and, uh, and the way they're going into the boxes, how much time and energy the girls have to put into packaging them. Uh, and then are we at the volumes where we can maybe invent a, a more creative package that's a little bit quicker and, and better for the plant? But, yes, all of our team are, are in tune with making sure and understanding that, you know, Australia is such a big country. We have one of the most unique systems in the world, um, that we have the furthest distances to travel, the most extreme climate zone changes. So we'll have a 14-degree day here in Melbourne and 30 degrees in the Sunshine Coast, So, uh, and then six days in the back of a truck to get there. So I'm glad you touched on that because it is a passion of ours to make sure we wrap the plants so that they get to you in the best condition possible. Yeah, and I might be jumping the gun here because I know we've got another great little deal to look at too, but I think it's really important to get your order in soon as well. You know, it's um, get it in so that the plant gets to you. I know you guys, I love the way, I also really respect the way you won't send out a plant after a certain date. Yeah, look, we've, we've had those experiences, you know, probably at least the last three years have been pretty terrible with Australia Post. Uh, we had the COVID situations, but also um, with this online store, um, incredible, not a revival, but uptake of new businesses, yes. shoes and clothes and bedding and all that sort of stuff. The trucks are just so full and it's taking Australia Post now 15 days to get products to people's door and they can't guarantee us that service. And yeah. we know that a plant doesn't like to live in a box for 10 or 12 days. So yeah. Yeah. Um, we unfortunately do have that cutoff. Uh, next Friday is our last shipment for all of our Victorian customers. But yes. unfortunately, Monday afternoon is the cutoff for WA and Northern Territory and, and uh, I think Queensland so that we can guarantee that the plant's going to get there healthy, safe yeah. in time Christmas. Yeah, look, I just think it's great. I respect so much the way that you do that. Um, you know, I think uh, shipping and when you receive your product, whether it's plants or anything that's living, um, you want to have it presented in the best possible. You can't give this beautiful anthurium to your friend for Christmas when it's got half the foliage dead on it, you know. No, or, or it misses Christmas and it becomes a New Year um 
pot of a uh, rubble, I suppose, because yeah. the warehouse yeah. of a truck. By the time it arrives. Yeah. Now, look, we, so, we have to do that. Um, we're still sh- we're still shipping hardwoods and and other lines. Um, we've got some great gift vouchers that we can come in for wool and my pine, uh, and I think the Anthurium offer that's going to air next week will be presented as a voucher and will ship after Christmas, just so that you do get a beautiful plant um, yeah. quite quickly from your yeah. order. It's a great solution, really good solution for those people that do go, oh, gosh, I've missed out. Well, you haven't missed out. There is a way still to deal with the Garden Express plant, so that's that's fantastic. Um, so frangipanis, I believe you've got some uh, some nice-looking frangipanis to put in those boxes also. Absolutely. Uh, frangipani week has, uh, has hit for sure. Uh, they're very, very popular. And although we're a Victorian-based company, this is one of those beautiful products we can get out of Queensland and these ones in particular this time around are from Darwin. A wonderful, wonderful grow of French panties up there. I believe we've got one of your favourites, a blue one in stock, which, uh-huh. is, which is quite amazing. Yes. And yeah, so the frangipanis, they're, they're kind of uh, coming into their leafing stage. Um, so for, for everybody in Queensland that they'll know how good a frangipani is going to grow over the over the summer months and, um, yeah, get in quick for those. Yeah. Look, frangipanis are a really easy plant to grow. Um, you know, put them in a pot, put them in the ground. They're quite diverse. And you can put them in small spaces too because, of course, their root balls are not huge, are they? No, they're very uh, very small root ball. Um, they, they grow, you know, quite in a warmer climate, you can make the cuttings quite well if you put them in, in a really, really warm house and you don't put too much moisture with them. But once the roots start to grow, they really just feed off uh, off their leaves and a really nice warm root zone. So um, down here we recommend that you put like grass clippings and stuff around your plant to get that root heat up to about 23, 24 degrees. Okay. That's when they continue their, their growing. So might be a little tip for some of your southern WA customers as yeah well. yeah that's something i hadn't realized of course yeah that makes sense that could work so they're okay with the amount of nitrogen too you just balance that out with a good mineral fertilizer to make sure the flowering occurs also perfect perfect yeah yeah, yeah so i think we've got uh, how many varieties rowan uh, there's about 12 there's about 12 varieties of frangipani so we've got uh, beautiful uh creams with a bit of lemon a lovely yellow we've got a tricolor we've had for for many years um, the blood red, and of course your uh, your beautiful blue this year. The blue, uh, the blue has really grabbed my attention. I know we get a lot of customers looking for the blue one and also the black one. So I believe that you've had some of the black or the deep, deep, deep blood, blood red ones. Yes, Are they black or blood red. Uh, Darwin blood, I think it's called. Darwin blood. Um, okay. That one's sold out. Blackjack, was it, Rowan? Blackjack. Yeah. Blackjack. So yeah. they do sell out very quickly, but I'm not sure people are aware we've got the blue one this year and there's a little bit of stock there for you, Joanne. I've put one ah, aside. We'll have to push that one. I'll have to tell a few of my clients at, um, at the nursery when they ask for it to come and see you guys. Absolutely. Thank you yeah. for that. Yeah. The, um, the, the, the flower, they're really hardy, these little plants. You know, if you live in a cold area and if you're listening to us from Tasmania or somewhere where you've got real cold uh, winters, they do grow inside okay over the wintertime. You can bring them in. And I was reading the other night that the flower is known as the strength to withstand tough challenges. And I wow. think that's quite right, that the, the frangipani can withstand tough challenges. 
It so, can do. And if you are in, in Tasmania, um, I think it's a north-facing brick wall would yep. be an amazing spot uh, yeah. to put your frangipane in a pot and bring it in for the winter uh, yeah. as warm as it can be. Yeah. Yep. And, hey, they're bee and, and butterfly attracting, so they're pretty amazing plants. Oh, so what sort of price have we got on the frangipanis today, David? Uh, the frangipanis are, are $26 for uh, your beautiful 125 mil pot. I've got a nice triple-headed white one here. Wow. And I just love the fragrance, Joanne. Yeah. Yeah, it has to be the best scent. You get it in candles all the time. It's wonderful. So 125 mil pot, uh, she's probably a, a, a cutting 18, to two, 18 months to two years ago. It was taken and um, $26. Decent size, decent plant, fantastic, and it's well, well transported. Really appreciate your time again this morning, David. Nice chatting with you. I hope you have a nice picnic on Sunday in 33 degrees. It's, it's going to be wonderful, but I just got one more thing to add. Rowan is going to put out an email this weekend. Uh, it'll be our last email for the year. We have up to 70% off our plants so that we can clear them from our uh, our stores into people's homes ready for Christmas. So yeah, because we absolutely. have that on Monday, we want to 70% off. Lots of 50% off of our items, lots of 40s, lots of 50% offs in there as well. That's amazing. That's fantastic. You really have to have a look at this. And I'm and I'm assuming you're doing this because you want to get them out before the hot weather starts and then you're not shipping in that really extreme temperatures. Absolutely. We just clear all of our stocks down. We've got a, a small team that come in over Christmas to maintain things, keep things, uh, make sure the watering's working properly. But yeah. what's better to have a, an empty greenhouse and empty platforms for, uh, for the Christmas period and come back and freshly stock up with some new offers in the new year. Wow. Okay. That's fantastic. Well, we'll speak to you again next week. And um, thanks very much. Just a reminder to all our WA viewers out there, get your um, orders in by lunchtime, I would assume, on Monday. Absolutely. And that way we know we are, you're going to receive your, your uh, gift on time. Very and good. Well, thanks for the Thank you. Thank you. Bye, David. Bye. 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 Oh, it's always great talking to the guys. They've got some really, really good product. I mean, if you looked at those anthuriums, they're wonderful. Um, one of the best growing ones I've seen, actually, to be honest. Right, so we're going to start with some questions and let's get on with that. We've got Janice, and Janice is in Beldivis. That's in WA, just south of Perth. Um, and she says, hi, I've planted two claret ash at the same time. One is not growing very well. It also has some yellow moss lichen growing on it. Um, in the photo, you can see the sick one on the front and the healthy one behind. The sick one has very sparse branches um, with few or no leaves, both on the same retic water and mulch. Can you help me solve the mystery why one is healthy and the other not? Also, the yellow moss is growing on all my other trees nearby. I'm not sure if it's harmful or not. Okay, well, let's start with that one, Janice. Um, it's not harmful. Um, lichen is part of the biodiversity. In fact, it's quite a healthy thing. It's not a parasitic um, plant in any way, so it's not going to harm your your trees or plants. Quite often you'll see it, um, uh, often in like in the tropics you'll see it too, where on the darker side of the tree there's enough moisture in the air and humidity that a lot of lichen will grow on one side of the tree and not in the other or perhaps just in the middle. But as I said, it's a non-parasitic, it's uh, not going to harm your tree. 
Now, as for your trees, as for your um, claret ash, you have got um, a very weak-looking claret ash. I wondered uh, when I looked at the photo a minute ago whether, in fact, it had been, when you first planted it, whether it had been cut back or whether it had been left um, in its full size and had been a bare root tree at some stage because that's often how it is. And when you get a bare root tree, um, the roots have to be cut back considerably. So you'll find that the roots are much smaller than what the entire plant can cope with. And what we do at, the, at our garden centre is, um, and we sell a lot of, um, of bare root trees, but what we do is you'll come in, you'll see your tree, it might be close to two metres, and we're going to cut it down to almost one. Um, and that way the uh, tree can put its energy right through to the end of the branches and therefore produce the leaves at the top, whereas what yours is doing is just around the base. So I would suggest that um, it could be a, a, a soil thing. You want to get your roots happening a lot faster and get some really good strong roots in, in your soil to then be able to produce all the nutrients and all, of all the vitamins, all the good stuff, right up to the end of those branches. Now, I would prune it back probably only a third at this point and then I would let it grow slightly and then you might find that you can cut it back a third again. So effectively you're cutting it back half, but you're doing it in stages so that the tree's not kind of just completely shocked when you do it. Um, it should come back. Um, and uh, if not, I would also consider getting into the soil some good uh, nutrients, some adequate moisture, and make sure that you've got it. looks like you've got some mulch on the ground. Just make sure that you've got good mulch over those two. Otherwise, um, look, what you've got on it looks quite healthy. It's just a matter of the tree can't get all the goodness right up to the end. So um, give it a hand. All right. Now we're going to Albert, and Albert's in East Cannington in WA also, and he says, Hi, Joanne, are these nectarine leaves normal? Um, they seem to be suffering from a pest attack. However, I can't detect any pests every time I check it day or night. Is it a lack of sunlight? It's been it's been the second year of the tree, and it, it has been growing vigorously, although not contorted leaves like this. Okay, look, your tree does look pretty healthy from what I can see. And you're quite right, there has been a pest attack and it's a, it looks to me like it was thrip. So thrip is something that attacks the leaf when it's still, excuse me, in a bud form, when it's in its um, tight and closed up like this. The, the um, pest comes in and pierces through the leaf, through the bud, so that when it unfurls, the damage that it did here at this stage then shows up through the whole leaf and that's what you can see all those little bubbles on it I did when I looked at it first I thought perhaps it was a leaf a leaf curl which nectarines peaches a number of the pruners will uh, get but it's not that it looks like you've actually got a really clean leaf for that uh, but it is thrip now thrip is often the sign of a symptom, it's a sign that you've had thrip, but it's long gone. So you probably won't see it. Um, I would suggest that you make a, a, a note of this, remind yourself next year uh, when the trees are in bud to check for some thrip. They're a very tiny, almost microscopic, but very black 
little insect. And if you spot any of those or even do it as a, a preparation for possibly them coming in and hit it with something like EcoFend um, and that will help, certainly help um, keep them away. And it'll make your leaves look a lot nicer. I would suggest though, um, I think it's Charles we're talking to, isn't it? I would suggest that you... Um, you prune back. I can see in there, I want to touch the screen, but that's going to be of no help for you at all. Um, I can see that there are some uh, branches there with no leaves on them. They could, and they're a little bit darker, so they could well be um, dying back. I would just tip prune those out. You don't need to prune this tree, but I would clean out any of the dead wood. It just helps with the tree to be a little bit more active and, and keep it, um, <clears throat> excuse me, keep it growing a lot better. So I hope that's helped you. Um, now, Hannah, and Hannah is in South Australia. Hannah, I have these hedges growing, some green leaves, but they seem to have um, dead patches and look quite sick. Any advice on why this might be or how I can help them grow back? Okay, you look like you've got a bit of a mess happening there for yourself. Let's see what we can do for you. Um, okay, so the... Um, this looks to me like it's a, a type of uh, lily pilly, could just be the bush Christmas one, or it could also be perhaps a hinterland gold. Either way, you've got um, a problem there. Now, these plants I know um, can be attacked by uh, cottony cushiony scale is the most common one, and they're really hard to get. They also will get um, psyllid. Now, the psyllid is the one where you get those little bubbles on your leaf or a dimples, should we call it. They're not rather than bubbles. They're more like dimples. And if you turn the leaf over and the, the psyllid is still in there, you'll see that it fills that dimple. Um, so you need to spray for those and be aware of those. If you... If you get them, you can cut them. So you can prune them back and get rid of them um, or you can spray for them. But you do need to deal with them or you'll find that um, patches like this can occur if, it, if it's let go too long. The other one that I mentioned was cottony cushiony scale. Now, we have this hedge. We have the bush Christmas hedge right along the side of our garden centre and we're constantly having to work on that and make sure that the scale is not there because, of course, it would come into the garden centre. Um, and we've found also that where we've missed it, we've got patches like this. So I would suggest that you need to look out for cottony cushiony scale, psyllid, and also I would probably um, now uh, give this a slight prune back. Again, I wouldn't take it much more than normally I would say a third, but I would just take off maybe 10 centimetres. Just take off the outside of it and try and encourage it to grow some more leaves. Make sure that it's got adequate water. Um, these plants will take lots of sun, lots of wind. They're, they're very tough lily pillies, um, but you, you do need to look out for the pests and diseases on them. Um, make sure that you've got some mulch on the bottom. Just do some good plant maintenance and uh, perhaps give it a good fertiliser also now coming into summer. One last fertiliser and um, it should come back. It should start showing some good leaves. If you find that it comes back and it, it's giving you some good growth again, let it have that growth even if you've got a few patches still along the way and then repeat the process again. And it's, it's probably a matter of a bit of patience for you. Uh, but they should come back. They are tough little plants. 
All right. So now we're heading off to Sydney. And Shelley has asked, hi, Joanne, some of the branches on my tomato plant keep dying. The plants get new foliage, but they just keep uh, just keep down last. Sorry, I'm not reading that well, am I? The plant bears plenty of fruits. However, some have little brown spots. Any idea of what's going on? Okay, so there's a few reasons why your plants, uh, your tomato plants might go yellow. Um, now, the leaves on them can be from, if they're the bottom leaves, and often you find that issues on tomato plants will start from the bottom. So if you have like a chlorosis, if they're yellow but they have green veins, then you'll find that that's like a chlorosis and you're lacking uh, certain minerals in your soil, um, uh, like your micro minerals. So you might want to look at that. If they're purely yellow and dropping off and they're down the bottom, it, it can just be a natural thing that's happening and that, in fact, if you just pick those leaves off, I always say leave a good maybe 30 to 40 centimetres, depending on how you've set your retic up, but leave a good space underneath your tomato plants so that the airflow is there and also the water can get through the plants rather than watering onto the plants and onto the tomatoes, the fruit. Um, and that will certainly um, assist your plants. The yellowing can also be from a wilt, and there are a number of different sorts of wilts that can happen. But generally, you'll find that if you take break off one of the leaves and keep the stalk of the leaf on and then break open the stalk, if there's some brown, it should be a green cambium layer and then a white ring and then some good green flesh through the middle if you find any browning in that the chances are is that you've got a wilt and you're best to start again take them out and just start again the black spots on your tomatoes can be a number of different things it could um i would uh, probably think it's it's attached to the yellowing also um and it might just be um just a weather thing at this stage it's still it's quite early you're in Sydney it's still quite early to be getting tomatoes off your plants so um, it could be a weather thing for you also thanks Shelley I hope you get some good tomatoes for Christmas all right so Taylor Taylor is in Sunbury Victoria and says hi there I'm hoping you can help us identify this tree our puppy or pup has been eating the little fruits and has been throwing up lately consistently so we suspect it could be this and wanted to be able to tell the vet what type of plant it is thanks so much now based on um Based on the tree, and I did have a look at the leaf up close and on the fruit, I would think that this is a plum tree. Um, it may well be a green gauge, although it's a very bright-looking fruit. You've got a very healthy-looking tree and a very and very healthy-looking fruit. I'm not sure why your pup is um, throwing up if it's eating the fruit. It may be that the fruit is green. It may also be that plum... Um, seeds might be um, might have some sort of toxin in them that affect the young body of a, of a little puppy. Um, either way, I would take the fruit, take the leaf, take the puppy to the vet and um, get their opinion on what they think it might be. Hopefully it's just this fruit and you can stop it, stop the puppy eating the fruit and all will be okay. So good luck for you and for your pup and enjoy that fruit yourself. So we're off in Queensland and Callie has asked, Hi Joanne, I'm having a problem with my veggie patch. 
the water seems to sit on top of the surface. It's not sinking in. What can I do to help the soil? Um, and thank you for your question, uh, Kelly. Yes, uh, it's a shame, isn't it? Our soils, we have it over here uh, in West Australia. It's one of the bane of our lives. And when you're a gardener, is that the water pools on the top. It becomes very what we call hydrophobic. It's really important that your soil, that your water go down into your soil and go into the root system. Um, if it doesn't, you'll find a lot of plants where their roots will come up to the surface. And then, of course, as soon as the sun comes out, you've got um, you've got real problems then because the roots just burn, okay, even when you've got mulch on them. Um, so what I would suggest you do is you get yourself some really good wetting agent, all right? Don't just use kitchen soap or um, plain soap. Get a proper horticultural um, quality wetting agent. Now, um, you can use either a granular or a liquid. Either one is fine. If I'm needing something urgently, I tend to use a liquid. It's just a little bit easier or maybe not easier, but what it does do is it will um, sink into the soil quicker. So you'll break that waxy surface that happens when the, the soil becomes hydrophobic um, and therefore the, so the water can then run down into the soil. Um, grab yourself some wetting agent and when you apply it, um, one of the keys to applying it is obviously not over the leaves of plants. You can burn them by doing that. So scatter it on the soil and water it in well. And I tend to water it in until it stops. If it's... Um, if it's the granular one, this isn't quite the same. I'll talk about that in a moment. If it's the liquid one and you water it in, water it in such that you almost you don't see any more bubbles. So once you've watered it in and what you've effectively done is driven it down into the root system. There's no point leaving your wetting agent in the top few centimetres of your soil. As I said, the roots will grow up, the roots will burn, or it'll be of no value whatsoever and you may as well throw the money in the soil. At least that'll be there next year. So, and if you're using a granular one, which is often a slow release, uh, not always, but often it can be a more slow-release one. So what will happen is you'll water and water and you'll drive it in and drive it down into the soil. And then in a week's time, if you did that again, you'd find you'd get a little bit more of the suds showing too. So that's the slow-release way. If you're maintaining something, use that. If you're wanting to repair something, I would go and use the liquid. Now, I cheat a little bit also and I tend to turn mine over. I spread it on, I water it in. I turn the soil over. I don't dig it. I just turn it over and then I water it in again. And I find that that goes down much quicker. Um, it's a really good question. We're heading into a time when everybody should be aware of having good soil. If you've got good soil, you've got a lot better chance of growing anything um, and growing it well. Okay, so Shaylee is in uh, Kalamunda. Hi, team. Hi, Shaylee. Hope you are well. Joanne, my nonna, had this beautiful 80-year-old olive trees that I would be interested in transplanting. Do you know how much this would roughly cost and will the tree survive? It could cost quite a little bit, Shaylee, but I think, you know, an 80-year-old olive tree is probably really worth having a look at. You're in Kalamunda. You're not far away from a company that I like using called um, the Arbor Centre. 
The Arbor Centre um, are stacked with really good arborists that know what they're talking about. Uh, they're not just tree loppers out there. And, and it, my my sincere apologies to any tree loppers that I didn't mean to upset you. But you want to, when you're dealing with something like an 80-year-old plant um, that's obviously special to you because it's your nonna's, um, you want to get the best advice. I would call them out for a, um, a consultation. It could cost you quite a bit to move these trees, um, but and I'm, I actually don't know what you're looking at for the cost of it. But if you work with the professionals like they are at the Arbor Centre, you'll get a, a a, a quality job and you'll get it at the price that that needs it needs to be i would try them and see how you go shelly thanks okay so um now we're off to um, listen to dr buggerlugs and he's talking today about thrip so let's have a listen to that thrips are a major issue for many gardeners today they're a small insect that's hard to see and they attack flowers and, and, and buds of uh, developing plants. There's a nice little bud just erupting here. Now, if this isn't controlled, what you'll find is that as the bud emerges, it'll be brown, distorted, the tips will look bad, and then the resulting blossoms won't be very healthy. So that's why thrips are a problem in this garden. With chili thrips, you won't see the thrips. You'll see the damage. And unfortunately, once you see the damage, it's too late. So you need to spray early. You'll need to keep repeat spraying of these until you get to a point where uh, the rose tissue, in this case, is hardened off and impervious to more attack from thrips. Biosecurity is a shared responsibility. Everybody needs to be in the gardens reporting pests. If we find pests or diseases early, we can stop their spread or eradicate them. The best way to report pests is using apps and the My Pest Guide Reporter app. The pictures you take, it's just click and send. That'll go to an expert and they'll get back to you and let you know what your problem is. Yeah, Dr. Buggerlugs has got some good advice there. Use that app, it's well worth it. If you um, aren't sure how to use the app, come down to the, one of the garden centres, get the girls down there to help you load it on and um, in the meantime, they might be able to help you out with uh, what the problem is also. All right, so let's get back to some more um, questions and answers and see if we can't get a whole lot more done. Oh, hello, it's Tyson. Hi, Tyson. And Tyson, as most of us know, is from Veronia in Victoria. Um, he says, hi, Joanne, can I please plant the Linaria fairy bouquet seeds in the ground or somewhere else? Can you give me some advice and tips? Yes, Linaria fairy fairy bouquet seeds would be very easy to plant in the ground. Um, but as always, um, Tyson, what I would suggest is that you use some, maybe some little jiffy pots or eco pots or a even a seedling tray and fill that with some, uh, some seed raising mix, put them into there, put them into the appropriate sunlight, water them adequately. And then once they are, um, once they have, uh, sprouted once they've uh, germinated you can prick those out and put them into the garden then don't don't put them out um, fresh little seedlings when it's too hot um, Tyson and maybe give them some half strength sea sol as you plant them too that might just help them settle in uh, to the the warm weather we're about to have especially you guys I believe on Sunday 
Okay, so thanks for your question, Tyson. Uh, Linda is from Hobart and she says, Hi, I have a donkey tail that is starting to yellow. I think it needs repotting, which I'm going to do. This could be difficult as it's such a fragile plant. Do you have any tips? Why, if I put it in a hanging pot, will it cope with the weight or should I shorten each length? You don't need to shorten the lengths. They should hold their own weight. The reason why donkey tail will um, stop dropping is not just from the weight uh, generally. It's from either uh, too much sunlight um, or not enough sunlight, not adequate, or if you've overwatered your donkey tail, it gets root rot very easily and that may have happened. Um, You... (sighs) When it goes yellow, there's a a couple of different reasons why it would go yellow, but I suspect it could be from what I saw um, in your photo that it um, is perhaps the stem goes quite yellow also, and that's a sign of it having too much sunlight. So it really likes light, but it doesn't like hot sun or sunlight. So if you're in an area where you get direct hot, dry sun, then you might want to move that pot and put it somewhere else. Donkey tails don't have too many problems. You know, you don't even hear of them having um, a mealybug in the soil, but they will want to be in well-drained soil so that they don't end up with a root rot. That was the other thing that can happen with them for getting yellow. Repotting them, I um, generally get a uh, something like a tea towel or a piece of fabric and I place it around the, the foliage and I hold that gently together to hold the foliage so that you're not knocking at it and so that when you lift it out of the pot, you're actually giving that um, a bit of a hand also. So I hope those little tricks can and tips can help you uh, repot your donkey's tail. They're, they're really lovely to grow and they're quite easy, but you do need to, it's light is the most important thing with them. Oh, and they don't like to be fertilised. So really the only time you'd fertilise these is during the growing season and I would give them a half-strength fertiliser only twice and that's all that they need. Otherwise, you're just overdoing it with them. Okay. So Keith is in Moorbank in New South Wales and my lychee tree gave us fruit in January and again in December uh, the flowers have come. Since they fruit every two years, is this a false impression that it will give us fruit? Um, We have a lot of rain so the flowers will fall off. Yes, the flowers probably will fall off with the the fruit, uh, with the rain at least, Um, and they are biennial fruiters, so I'm I'm surprised that they're fruited again or at least they're flowered again. It may be that you're pushing them on too much with fertiliser, um, but I am, I have to be honest here, I'm guessing with this because I'm not exactly sure why it would fruit again and I've not heard of that. So um, what I'd like to do, Keith, is I do know that I'm on again next week and I'm going to ask... Um, the lovely um, Jess to write this down for me, Keith's question, so I remember what it is and I go back to the nursery and I have a good look for you, Keith, and I get a better answer, okay? All right, so we'll speak to you next week, so we have to see you on here. Okay, so we've got Natasha is from Queensland 
and Natasha says, hello, I'm looking to get a mango tree, but I'm a little worried on the root system. Growing up, I was told the root system is invasive and can damage foundations, pipes, etc. However, I've come across a few articles that say that the roots of a mango tree only grows relative to the size of the tree. So if the tree is kept trim and the small, the root system will remain small. Is this true? It is mostly true that um, you're quite right. The roots of the mango tree are not particularly uh, huge. They will grow usually to about the width of the tree, perhaps 50 centimetres to maybe 100 centimetres a metre past the, the uh, foliage of the tree. But generally those are feeder roots and they're quite fine roots. So you're not going to get uh, problems within um, your plumbing, etc. as you said. You might if you planted it directly over a septic. I mean, that's a different matter, isn't it? But otherwise, I think it should be fine. Um, and, you know, these uh, I've seen 8- um, and 10-year-old mangoes growing in, say, 75-litre uh, bags, and they grow really well and they produce flowers and fruit in that sort of situation. So I would think that you're quite right that the, um, the mango tree is, doesn't have um, a bad root system. So buy one and enjoy it. Okay. Karen, we're back in WA and Karen's in High Wycombe. Morning, everyone. First timer here. I was wondering if it is possible to graft bougainvillea onto an ovata jade plant. Um, they are in pots. Mm, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, and there's a couple of reasons why but I'm not sure that I'm actually correct in this. However, I would give it a go. It would be really interesting. And I'm wondering why you want bougainvillea on the Ovata Jade. Um, Karen, I'd really like to hear more about what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, I think it's a really interesting project, but I'm just not too sure that it's going to work for you round the other way maybe, but I'm just not too sure. So um, can we hear some more about your project and what you're doing? And I'm going to ask a couple of growers that I know are really good grafters. Um, so here's another one for, um, for Jess to write down for me, Karen from High Wycombe. And I might um, speak to some of these grafters and butters in WA that really know their job and let's see what happens and I'll come back to you. All right, so Nicholas from Brabham in WA, not far from Guildford. How can I make my cottonwood hibiscus hedge out at the bottom? They seem to keep climbing. It's interesting, Nicholas. People buy the, the cottonwood hibiscus, um, commonly known as Tiliaceae. Um, now, <laughs> they're huge. People buy them to put in pots or to make little specimens along the front of their picket fences these things grow three to five meters you can keep them at three but it's more likely between five actually five and eight is more likely and they go three to four meters wide so they're quite huge um, the only way you're going to get your hibiscus to keep hedging down the bottom because it, it's obviously if you let something grow 
and it grows really fast and you get this really nice top branching, it will drop some of its bottom branches to put all the energy up the top. So what you want to do is tip prune the whole thing. And I would take off maybe a third. If if it's a nice thick and you've got lots of foliage that goes right in, in closer to the middle of the, the um, shrub or small tree, <clears throat> excuse me, then I would um, take off a third. If your foliage, your tree is quite sparse, then I would take only, um, say, 10 or 20 centimetres at the most, um, but make sure that you leave on some leaves for photosynthesis for it to be able to protect itself and keep growing well. You may find then that you get some, um, some leaves or some shoots coming off in the bottom. Bad news, though, is that quite often if these trees or hedges are quite old, you'll find that even by pruning them, it'll fatten out the foliage and fatten out what is there but may not produce the bottom part of it. What you could do, though, is plant underneath them, okay? So keep your hedge as it is. You may want to lift it slightly higher or leave it where it is, and you could do a double layer. So the leaves of the cotton wool are, wood are that beautiful. Generally, there's two. There's green ones and there's a bronze-coloured leaf. And mostly it's the bronze-coloured leaf that people buy from the garden centres. So if you had something like that, you could plant under it something like, let's say, the buxus, the japonica buxus. Not, no, sorry. Yes, the japonica, the Japanese buxus. Or even there's another one that's tighter, and it's really small and it's a limey green colour. So you'd get that different shades in your garden. And it's like um, having, uh, you could have three, in fact. You could even do something that's a bit taller and then something that's even shorter. And it gives you depth in the garden. You could plant bulbs underneath it so that in springtime it's full of beautiful bulbs. Or you could put a very small little shrub under there that flowers all the time. Um, so if you find that by pruning it back, it's not going to come back nicely for you, try planting something else under it. Go down and see the girls at the garden centre and um, or have a look at the uh, Garden Express um, uh, catalogue online on their online shop and you might find something there that you can put in underneath it too. All right. And Christine, Christine, I think this is Christine Rankin, and Christine's also a WA person. Good morning, Joanne, and everyone at the Garden Guru Productions. I have to confess um, to having to cut back a section of the passion fruit vine and push aside the sugar cane to allow easier access to the shade house. Still have lots of flowers on the passion fruit and have noticed a few more since the trim six days earlier. I'm hopeful I haven't compromised the fruiting process. Christine, I don't think you will have. Um, I think you do know what you're doing and you've probably cut back in a way that is allowed for the growth to still happen. Um, it won't affect the 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 um, fruit. Just keep up whatever the, the watering regime that you have. Make sure you don't plant, underplant um, and um, attack the roots or disturb the roots at least of the passion fruit and it should be fine. So nice to hear from you, Christine. Uh, Matthew, Matthew's in Melbourne. I have propagated some Swiss cheese monstera in perlite in a container with one node each uh, before I knew uh how to do two and the top half of the stem has rotted on uh have rotted on stone of them have rotted 
do I cut close? Do I just cut those bits off and it will survive? The nodes have one centimetre root each. Yeah, okay, so you've got, I'm sorry, I was just a little bit confused about what that was. Um, yes, you've got nodes on them. So, uh, and the root from that is coming out. So you've got something that's got some strength. Um, I would be inclined to cut the um, the rotting bits off. You're quite right. It should survive because you've got those nodes. You're right. You're better off to cut with two nodes than one when you're trying to propagate something. Um, and I'm assuming, I think with the, the Swiss cheese Monstera also, the climbing one, if that's the one that you're using, um, they don't like to be overwatered. So that's one of the things that you should be most careful with. The leaves, um, and they'll go brown from the tips and around the margins and then come back into the stem from there. And you won't see any green uh, at all. It'll just go brown or black eventually. So I would cut them off and just be aware of that when you're trying to grow the Swiss cheese. Lynn is in Claremont. And she says, hi, Joanne, I live in Claremont and I'm hoping you can recommend a feature tree for my small garden. It faces west and will get all of the hot afternoon sun and our sea breeze. I can only grow about one metre wide, but I can grow tall and I would prefer evergreen. All right. That's a shame that you said evergreen. <laughs> uh, one metre wide, um, you know, I guess... I guess when you're looking at something that's one metre wide, you've got to then get something that's about one metre wide. And I don't know of any um, trees really that are like that. I do. I do. That's wrong. You could grow a dwarf citrus. Now, they grow 1.5 by 1.5. 50 centimetres off the width, you could do. You will lose some of the fruiting, but you could certainly do that. Um Otherwise, I you're in Claremont, so you do have that afternoon sea breeze. I guess um, an olive tree is another thing that you could – I've seen those toperied right in um, to being um, uh, like the, the trunk could be, you know, this sort of um, uh, diameter and the tree still only about – a metre to even slightly less than that. So you could start playing around with um, perhaps um, the uh, the olive also. I guess what I want to say to you too, Lynn, is um, I know that a lot of people come into the garden centre and they say, oh, I, I know I want a um, an evergreen tree because I don't want a tree that's going to drop leaves. Your deciduous trees are going to drop leaves. They're going to drop leaves mostly only once a year. They're going to dump completely, and those leaves are generally good for mulching also. So you can put them back onto your garden under your tree, and you're getting that whole diversity happening again. The other thing that you need to consider when you're growing um, a uh, evergreen tree is that the um, – the evergreen trees, if you and you say you're in a small area, right? You want a small tree for a small area. And if you're going to put an evergreen tree into that, you'll find that there will be dank areas. So because it doesn't drop its leaves in the wintertime, um, it will then create quite a dank space where the sun is it's not reaching. Um, so keep that in mind that if you've got a small area, 
you may actually be creating quite a dank, dark space and nothing much will grow in that area. Okay, so maybe consider looking at a deciduous. And there's a couple of different ones there. You could look at um, the Oakville Crimson Spire. It's a prunus. Both I'm going to mention are prunus. They will take your wind down in Claremont, okay? They grow to five metres tall and only one and a half metres wide. Again, and they're a, a conical-shaped tree. So, again, you can create a, a, a metre wide rather than a metre and a half by the pruning of the bottom uh, branches. But also they're a conical tree, but they're more of a tree like this than they are like this. And, and why I say that is that the metre and a half is at the top not down the bottom. So that may, may, may make a difference. The other beautiful little tree that I absolutely adore in small spaces, it is deciduous, um, is the Prunus elvins. It's a three metre by three metre. Again, you can prune it so that rather than it being this, it's more this so that you're getting it back into what um, you prefer for the size. Um, it has the most beautiful pink blossom and a green foliage. I should mention the Oakville Crimson Spire has a bronze foliage with a white blossom. So these are trees that people will often come in and say, I want a cherry blossom tree. And this is what we will give them because it produces blossoms like a cherry blossom. Um, keep in mind also that your um, evergreen trees um, may not drop all their leaves at once, but they'll drop all their leaves almost every day. So through the summertime at the garden centre, we rake our garden centre and clean it every day. And it's the evergreen trees that drop, not the deciduous ones. So if that's an issue, that's perhaps something you could, you could consider. All right, so now we're back in Victoria and Catalina, I love that name, Catalina. Um, Catalina says, hi, my fruit trees have been in my property for a long time. One of my plums is suffering. I just moved there. Uh, I just moved there is, and there is two apples. A red plum is the one suffering and a white plum uh, peach tree had white ants and have leaf curls. So much happening. There is so much happening for you, Catalina. Okay, let's start at the end. Um, uh, before so much happening, we have leaf curl. Um, don't worry about leaf curl too much. Uh, you can deal with that. Okay, so you need to get some copper oxychloride um, and that you will spray on the, the tree at leaf fall, right? So in autumn when the leaves are falling, that's when you'll spray it. And then again, just before bud burst. So when you see those buds starting to develop, that's, uh, and you'll see them, they, they fatten. When they fatten up on the branch, that's when you want to spray it, okay? Um, it shouldn't hurt your tree too much, but I would be inclined to make sure that you um, get those sprayed so that it doesn't eventually affect the fruiting on them. Now, you've got a red plum that is suffering. I'm not sure what it's suffering from. Um, I would maybe send us a photo of that and we can identify what the problem is a bit more. Consider, you, consider your soil. Where are you? are in Victoria, but we have no idea where you are. Um, if you're in clay soil, you may need to get some, or a heavy soil, you may want to get some gypsum into it, open it up, letting the nutrients, the oxygen, nitrogen, everything get down in there um, and help the tree. Um, 
and the white plum peach tree, the white peach tree had white ants, well, get a white ant specialist in and get that dealt with because they could it could then go on to other trees. Sounds like you need to keep in touch with us, Catalina. Let's um, attack a few things each week and see if we can't help you to bring back your orchard um, to looking fabulous. All right. Well, we got through a few questions today. But now we're going to have a sneak peek. Let's take a look at the Sunday's this Sunday's episode of the Garden Guru's Best Of, and this is for our WA viewers. Have a check this out. It's great. Gardeners love roses. They have been the backbone of ornamental gardens for centuries. So for the home gardener, selecting the perfect variety for their garden may feel a little overwhelming. <laughs> Trees are the most important part of the environment, regardless of where you live. And managing the interaction of trees remains one of the biggest challenges in urban spaces. These days, lawns play a big role in landscaping and are very much a source of pride for homeowners. So looking after them makes a lot of sense. Oh, you've got to get onto that. It's fantastic. Okay, let's get straight on to We answered a few more questions than what we should have. So Jess, our producer, has said, Go for it. So I am. This is the wonderful snail creeper, um, Vigna. All right. So it's a fabulous little climber. Well, it's not little actually. This climber can grow to or anything up to about five metres. Generally, three metres is what you'll find. The leaves get a lot bigger. It won't take the um, hot wind, but it will take the heat. It loves the heat. Um, we have, it's evergreen. It prefers morning sun. Although it'll take the heat, give it morning sun rather than that hot, drying afternoon sun. Um, the little flowers on it, they're absolutely amazing. Uh, you can see the flowers. Have I got it there? Maybe. They're, they're a pretty colour. And they, they go from uh, creams, uh, the pink colours with the cream right through to a really beautiful blue one. The blue one can be a little bit weedy though, so be careful where you plant it. If you're living close to bushland or something, stick with this one. Don't go with the blue one. Um, these They love the flowers. They flower from the beginning of summer all the way through to winter. I know in, in Perth, because we have that milder autumn and milder entrance into winter, they last a long time. They do like humidity. So uh, keeping those flowers nice, it's really easy just to grab a, a, a mister and miss the flowers every now and again, and you'll find that that humidity is there. Um, now, they like, they're highly scented. They smell a little bit like some people say wisterias and other people say hyacinth. I think hyacinth, but that's just my smell. Um, they like a slightly acidic soil, which is rich in humus. Um, and they are known to get root rot and heavy soil. So if you're in heavy soil, make sure that you uh, use some gypsum to keep that open. Deadhead them. They're not toxic and they're pollinated by ants. So if you see ants on them, make sure you do um, check out you don't have scale, but otherwise leave the ants there because if you want some seed to propagate some more for yourself, you want the ants to go in and be doing it. Um, they attract bees and butterflies and they look, they're just an all-round interesting little climber that not everybody has. So grab one and show your neighbours how good you can be in the garden. Okay, 
Look, thanks very much for joining us this week. It's been, we've had some fabulous questions um, and I will get back to those two people that um, I couldn't answer the question well enough. We'll come back to you next week with something else. Um, make sure you hit the like button for us. I'd appreciate that. Thanks so much for all your questions. Um, and again, I'm sorry if we didn't reach uh, yours today, but we'll be in short, sure to include those in next week. We'll be back on Friday at 9am um, Western Standard Time. Remember, you can always jump on our website and catch up on the previous stories from the garden gurus at thegardengurus.tv or your youtube channel thegardengurus.tv also for our wa viewers please make sure you tune into channel nine this sunday for the best of the garden guru episode number one happy gardening everyone have a fabulous week bye-bye